Man, it's so good to see you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Mike and I serve on the team here at Active. And if this is your first Sunday with us, man, thank you for being here. We hope it's the first of many Sundays with us at Active Church. And if you've been here before and you're back again, welcome home and welcome back. What a gift it is to have you a part of the story that God is writing at Active Church. And I just want you to know how excited I was to show up today. I shared with our team this morning that I love coming to a place that I'm excited to come to. And I know often when we get into rhythms of life and we're doing the thing that we maybe believe we've been created to do, sometimes we can feel so worn out and so weary about that thing. But my wife asked me last night, so how are you feeling about going back to, to church this Sunday? And I said, I couldn't wait. I was so excited to see you. I was so excited to be together. And I'm so thankful that you trust us with your kids. I'm so thankful that you give me an opportunity to speak into your life the words that God has written to us so that we can live a life that honors God and loves those around us. So thank you for being here at Active today. I wanna pray some words over you and then we'll dive into the story of God together. So Heavenly Father, we pray that in the next few minutes, you would do in us what we need you to do in us. And maybe there's some things that we're aware of, and so I pray that in those things, we would would trust you with those things. And maybe there are some things that we're not aware of, but in this next few minutes, we might become aware of those things. And so wherever we find ourselves today, new to this, been doing this a long time, or somewhere in the middle, God, I pray that our eyes would turn to you, that our hearts would be open to you, that our minds would consider you. And that we could be people that could tell better stories. And that this year would be better than last year because we've decided to tell a better story, to look to you, to trust you, to follow you. And so I pray that these next few minutes would be life-giving and inspiring and challenging and convicting. And would you move us from where we are to where you want us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And together we say amen, amen, and amen. I want to I ask you to do something, and then I want to ask you some questions about the thing that I want to ask you to do. So if you have your phone with you, would you pull your phone out for just a moment? Pull your phone out. You're not going to get in trouble. The principal's not here. And so um, if you would, uh, w- would, you, would you take your calendar, however you access your calendar, if you have an iPhone or if you have a, 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 a stupid phone, um, <laughs> If you could go to, uh, go to December 31st, 2023. Click that date, December 31st, 2023, just, just a week ago. Click that date. When you have that, just hold your phone up just so that I know that, you, that you've got it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, on the count of three, however it works in your phone, whether you click it or you swipe to it, on the count of three, I want to invite you to click or swipe to January 1st, 2024. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Swipe or click. Cool. Now, just some questions to consider. You don't have to answer them out loud, but let me just ask you these questions. How do you feel? Do you feel new? Do you feel changed? Do you feel redeemed? Do you feel renewed and restored and reconciled? Are your habits better? Are the things that were hang-ups last year not hang-ups anymore? No? Okay, maybe we did it wrong. Let's go back to the 31st for just a moment. Go back to the 31st, and then on the count of three, let me count again, and then we'll go to the first. Ready? One, two, three, click on it. Still robbed? Still not good? 
Yeah. Maybe, maybe we've given power to something that's not powerful at all. Now, I know that the new year brings about new thoughts and new opportunities, and so let's not dismiss that. Because when the new year happens, we get excited about what could potentially happen. But I also think that what happens in the new year is that often we give a whole lot of power to the little numbers at the end of the year that change. We give a whole lot of power moving from the 31st to the 1st. And we think that everything is going to be so different in the new year. And maybe last year was awful for you. And maybe what you've said out loud or maybe even thought in your own heart and in your own mind is, I'm so thankful for a new year because last year was awful. I'm with you because I know that there are some things that we've experienced in this last year that were hard and that were heavy. But just because the calendar changes doesn't mean that you'll change. And just because we like to give power to that calendar change doesn't mean that it has power to help you change. And I'm not telling you anything that I don't think you already know. You're not going to change because you made a resolution. And you're not going to change because the calendar changed. And you're not going to change because the year changed. Here's what I know, and I'm convinced that you know it as well. The power to change is found in our willingness to change. So maybe the questions we need to begin to ask ourselves if we want things to be different in 2024 are the following questions. What are we willing to change? What are you willing to face? What are you willing to wrestle through? What are you willing to struggle through? What are you willing to address? What are you willing to acknowledge? Because how you answer those questions will determine if this year will be better than last year. And here's what I know about you because I think it's true of all of us. I know it's true of me. Next year at this time, in this moment, on this stage, by God's grace, I'm here and you're here. I don't want to be the same person with the same issues and the same habits and the same hang-ups. And the truth is, is that when we face those things, it doesn't necessarily mean that those things will immediately go away or will go away by next year. But what I would hope for in my life and what I would hope for in your life is that next year at this time, we can at least acknowledge that we faced them and have wrestled through them and that they don't have the power over us that they have over us right now. And maybe by God's grace, maybe next year for some of us, the things that we have been so deeply struggling with are not things we're struggling with next year because we've been faithful to God because God has been faithful to us and we have found healing and reconciliation and redemption. That's the hope for all of us, I believe. The truth is, if you and I want to try something different, we can't do the things that we've done before. And we can't rely on what power we've given to the calendar change because there's no power to change us in the calendar. The power that changes us doesn't come from within us. It comes from above us. It comes from the God who is for us. 
And that's the God that I want to engage in 2024. And that's the God that I want to invite you to engage in 2024. Whether you find yourself following Jesus for years or maybe considering following Jesus. That's how we try something different. And starting today and over the next few weeks, I want to begin to ask that question. How do we try something different? And we're going to talk specifically through the things that we face every single day. How do we try something different in our relational health? And how do we try something different in our financial health? How do we try something different in our spiritual health? And how do we try something different? And we'll talk about this next week. How do we try something different in our mental health? But before we even get into that, today I want to get started by talking about you and talking about God and talking about why we're here. And I'm convinced that we fit into one of three categories as to why we've shown up today or we're watching online. Now, I get that there's probably anomalies to this, and some of you might be anomalies, and so everybody doesn't always fit into these categories, but for the most part, I think all of us fit into one of three categories. The first category as to why we're here is the category of the unsatisfied. If you're in the category of the unsatisfied, it means that maybe you're thinking or you're feeling this, that You've been living life for someone or something, but it has not met the deepest longings of your heart and in your soul. That you have been giving all of your effort, you've tried so hard, but the thing that you're pursuing, whether it's a person or whether it's an idea or whether it's a job or whatever it might be, a goal that you've set for yourself, it just has not met the things deep within you that you need to have met. It has not solved the tension in your heart. It has not done for you what you expected it to do. And so you decided, I'm going to show up because I'm unsatisfied because this way has just not been the way for me. And so I'm going to show up to church and give God a shot to try something different. Maybe for some of you, you're not in that category, you're in the second category, and that's the intrigued category. And those of you that are intrigued have the mindset or the thought process or maybe feel this way. The intrigued are people that have had their attention caught by something. Something maybe from someone that invited you to come to church, maybe something that they've said or something that they've done that captured your attention. You're like, I'm not sure I believe the way that they believe, but gosh, they're so good to people and they're so generous to people and their compassion leads the way and they're not trying to force anything into my life. They're inviting me to consider this. Maybe there was a practice that you saw them participate in. Maybe it was just something as simple as whenever you eat a meal, they pause for a moment and bow their head and thank God for this meal and that was intriguing to you. Or maybe you heard the story of the church that they are a part of and the story that they're telling in the community. You heard the story about how the church was generous to this family, or you heard the story about how the church was involved in this community event, and that, that captured your attention. You're intrigued, and so you decided, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. And maybe, maybe you might be sitting here today going, oh, Mike, you're talking exactly about me, and then your arms just get folded up. You're like, all right, sucker, what do you, what do you got for me, right? Like, and, I, and, and if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here, because you're going to try something different. And then the third category that maybe a lot of us fit into is the inspired category. These are those that maybe think and feel along this line, that they've decided to give their life to God. Specifically, they've decided to follow 
the way and the person of Jesus. Because his way is just so different than the way that they've been living. And it did catch their attention, and they were intrigued by it, and they were inspired by it. And this way didn't just catch your attention, but it moved you to specific action, to trust in this Jesus who is faithful and trustworthy. And you've decided to give your life to him, and it's changed your life. And I think all of us, no matter where we find ourselves, whatever category we find ourselves in, there's something about Jesus that causes us to lean in. There's something about his way that causes us to go, man, that, that is so interesting to me. It's so fascinating to me. Maybe for some of you, are like, if Christians actually did what Jesus invited them to do, I would be a Christian as well. And maybe some of you are like, I don't know if I'm even following Jesus because I've been doing this religious thing for a really long time. And as I look at the way of Jesus, it doesn't align with my life. And maybe my life needs to align with him. Maybe for some of you, you've been following Jesus and your life does align. And it's why there's something about your life that's intriguing and inspiring and attractive to those around you. Jesus describes the way, his way, in Matthew's letter. Matthew, who knew Jesus, with was with him for three years, wrote down these words that Jesus said. Jesus said this to all of us. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Boy, doesn't that include all of us? Because I think all of us would say at one point last year, and maybe even today, there's a weariness inside of us. We're worn out. And then he said, who are weary and burdened. I think there's a lot of us that are carrying around things that we were never meant to carry around. The words of your parents or guardians or people that were spoken over you years ago that are still stuck in your heart, the way that you've been treated, the trauma that you've been through, the abuse that you've been through, you're carrying that around. And Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And he says, I will give you rest. And he's not just talking about physical rest, but I got to tell you, there's something about a good nap, isn't there? There is something about a good nap. And this last week in between Christmas and New Year's, it's one of my favorite weeks of the year because you're not sure what day it is. You're not sure what year it is. You're not even sure who you are, right? And you're like, did I eat? Did I brush my teeth? Doesn't matter because it's the week between Christmas and New Year's, right? And I found myself napping a whole lot more during that week. And I don't even know why I was tired. I just put on a documentary and I fell asleep. And then when somebody comes out and wants to watch the TV, I'm like, hey, I was watching that, right? Like that's how it works. I have shifted into full dad mode. It's awesome. I just want you to know that. But Jesus doesn't just promise like physical rest. He promises a rest for your soul. What if 2024 is a year where you don't live with shame anymore? Jesus. Jesus communicated this and then through Paul communicated this to you and I. There's there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those of you that are in Christ Jesus. That means that you could live without shame all year long. And then he's not done. He says, take my yoke upon you. The word yoke is an interesting phrase. It's not talking about egg yoke for us. We're like, what does that mean? In that time, it meant something pretty powerful. Here's what it means in that time so that we can understand it. A yoke is something that would go around the neck of an animal. And the commitment of the person who puts the yoke around the neck of an animal, the commitment is, is that I will lead you and guide you and direct you into something that's satisfying, into something that's good, into something that's productive. And so what Jesus is saying is, is take my yoke. 
I'm committed to you. Would you commit to me? Put it around you and learn from me. And then he says, here's what you're going to find out. I am gentle and I am humble in my heart. Meaning that this isn't something that I'm pretending to be or putting on a show. This is who I am. You get full Jesus all the time. There's no show. There's no pretending. You get all of who he is all of the time, even if you pretend. This is the invitation of Jesus. And then he says, let me just remind you, and you will find rest for your souls. He says it twice. Maybe because we need it. And then he finishes with these words. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's inviting. And that's intriguing. And that way is one that captures our attention. It's the way that I think all of us want to live in, and we want to consider this God who is humble and who is gentle and doesn't overwhelm us, but promises to transform us. I don't think we have any idea about who it is that we're engaging. We might have some idea, but when we engage Almighty God through the person and work of Jesus, that, that, should, that should cause us to say, wow that God is for me and not against me and with me and doesn't fight me, doesn't condemn me, but transforms me. And the reason why we can be convinced of this and the reason why that we can be confident in this is because those that were with Jesus and saw and heard and experienced from Jesus who he is and what he's like, wrote it down so that you would know. The verse that we've talked about often at Active is one of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures. It's at the end of John's letter. John, after spending three years with Jesus, writes down this letter. This is, this is years after Jesus had died and rose again. He begins to write down all that he experienced. At the end of his letter, he's like, hey, by the way, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the king, that he's God's son. Not so that you could just believe, hey, I'm a believer. Hey, I'm a Christian. He says they were written so that you may believe and by believing you may have Life, live life because of what Jesus gives to you and to me. That causes me to lean in. Maybe it causes you to lean in. And maybe today your arms could move from here to here. And so what I want to do today, before we even talk about trying something different in all of the ways that we can try something different, I want to talk about a posture that I'm convinced will allow us to try something different as we engage God and as God engages us and as we consider the way of Jesus for our life and for our family. I wanna share a posture that I believe will help you and will help me to try something different this year. So if you have a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app, I wanna invite you to turn to Luke's letter in the New Testament. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 17. We're gonna start in verse 11. This is a pretty famous story. You might have read this story or heard this story or heard it taught before. But if you haven't heard it, it's, it's pretty powerful. And there's a posture in this story that Luke tells us about that the people who engage with Jesus hold. And so we'll read the story, we'll talk it through, tease it through, and then I want to share that posture with you. Here's what Luke writes. True story about the life of Jesus in Luke 17, 11. He says, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now this is an interesting moment, because we 
don't necessarily fully understand what they're going through. And so let me just take you back to that moment for a moment. Leprosy in that time was a disease that would attack your nerves. It would attack your skin. And it would leave giant wounds, giant scars and scabs all over your skin. And you would lose the ability to feel, to touch, to experience things. You would lose the ability to taste things. And eventually that ability would go away. And then what would also go away is your fingers and your hands and your toes and your facial features. Because leprosy would just eat away at you. Happy New Year, right? Like, that's what you wanted to know in the New Year. Leprosy was terrible. Not only was it terrible, but it was highly contagious. So you could get it, and then you could give it to those that you love. And then the worst part about leprosy in that time, which is not true in our time, is that leprosy didn't have a cure. Leprosy's been cured. In the 80s, they found a cure for leprosy, so it's not something that we deal with at all in our culture anymore. But in that culture, you could not be cured of this disease. And so the death sentence that this disease brought was something that you had to carry around for however long you were around. And then you couldn't even be around the people that you love and that are loving you so that they could care for you because you could get them sick and then they would have to get away. And so when Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, he's in between Galilee and Samaria. He finds these men that are on the outskirts of town. And Luke's intentional about telling us that because they're isolated. They're away from everybody. And they don't have any sort of hope. And they don't have any sort of help. There wasn't a medicine they could take or a doctor that could solve the problem for them. And then they see Jesus. And maybe they have heard of Jesus. Maybe somebody from a distance shouted to them and said, hey, if Jesus comes, you got to call out his name because he might be able to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Maybe they heard of the stories of water into wine. Maybe they heard of the stories of the blind man who could see. Maybe they heard of the stories of the lame person that could walk. Maybe they heard of the 5,000 plus people fed from five loaves and two fish. Maybe they heard about those stories. Maybe they saw those stories from a distance. Maybe they watched from far, far away and watched how Jesus interacted. And maybe they learned what Jesus was teaching everybody about himself, that he was humble and that he was gentle and you could find rest for your souls. And so in their curiosity about Jesus, they call out to Jesus, wondering what Jesus was going to be able to do for them. And quite honestly, they didn't really care. They were just desperate. We're going to die anyway. Nothing can solve this problem for us. And so maybe Jesus can solve this problem. We want something different. And Jesus responds to their cry. And it's interesting how he responds because most often when you read the stories, the true stories of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus always draws near to somebody and he embraces them. He holds them. He talks with them, gets close with them. And the belief in that time is that if you were unclean or you were sick, then if you got near somebody, you would make them unclean or sick. But Jesus flipped that narrative because anytime Jesus got around somebody that was unclean, declared unclean or sick, they walked away healed and Jesus didn't walk away sick. And so maybe they heard that story too. So they're like, hey, if we call out to Jesus, he's going to come near and we're going to get healed. This is going to be awesome. And so they're like, Jesus, have pity on us. And his response is fascinating. Jesus goes, hi. 
Hey, go show yourselves to the priests. See you later. Like, what, what a fascinating response. But what we might miss in this story is what those first century readers wouldn't have missed. Jesus is honoring the practice of the time. The law of God invited people, if they were unclean, if they were sick, if they had a disease, the law of God invited people to go and see a priest, and the priest would then examine them to make sure that they were clean. And if they were clean, then the priest would have them do an eight-day process of cleansing, like preparing themselves to go back into the community. And this eight-day process included an animal sacrifice. It included getting some clean water from the Jordan River and you would have to boil the water over a specific kind of wood, cedar wood. You would have to shave your head, whether you were a man or a woman, you would have to shave your head. You would have to bathe in the water that you had boiled over this cedar wood. You would also have to wash your clothes with that water. And then at the end of the eight, eight days, you could go back and live with your family and your friends again. And so Jesus is inviting these men to do this thing. And if you're interested in how this works, it's in the document of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Leviticus 14 is where all of this is laid out. And Jesus honors, honors this law. Because remember, Jesus didn't come to demolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And he's teaching us what it means to engage Almighty God. And he wants them to know what it means to engage Almighty God. And really what the writer Luke is telling us is that Jesus is about to do this on the cross for all of us. But up until that point, he invites these guys go, to go and do what God has invited them to do. Now, here's, here's what's really fascinating about this. The priest couldn't heal you. He was just like you and like me. All he could do was examine you. So these guys had to trust that when Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, that by the time they got to the priests, they would be cured. They would be healed. And it would be a problem if they weren't. Because leprosy was highly contagious. So can you imagine people with leprosy walking through a town and corrupting that town and then meeting with the priest of the temple and corrupting that priest and then being in the temple or near the temple, it would have been believed at that time that they would have corrupted God. I've been in this town for uh, almost all my life. My junior high and high school years, we moved away because my parents loved me and wanted me to go to a brand new school in my junior high years and my pivotal years. Not bitter about that at all, but, um, <laughs> but it worked out. And, but I remember years ago, there was a local church that would do what was called Bethlehem Marketplace. And it was around like Christmas time that they would tell the story of Jesus being born. And you would literally like be in it. You would walk through and you would be in that moment with these people and in that moment with those people. And there was a moment, I remember this distinctly at like seven, eight years old. There was a moment where they would have people who were declared lepers walk by you and they would have people leading them and they would as you're walking through this thing and it's like so submersive as you're walking through they would say lepers move to the side and I remember as a six-year-old going what and like moving to the side being deathly afraid and then watching these men and women walk by and on their face and on their body it looked like they had leprosy and I remember grabbing my mom and my dad's hand and I'm like why did you bring us here we're gonna get so sick right I remember the feeling in my heart. And then afterwards, my dad telling me, oh, it's makeup or it's Rice Krispies they put on their face. And I'm like, 
Sadly, that information would have been so helpful before we went through this thing, right? But this was the fear, and I just had a a fear of what I didn't know. They had a fear of what they did know. And if these guys went back into the town, they would have gotten everybody sick. And so they had to, they had to make a decision on what they were going to do with the words of Jesus, the words that they were curious about, the person that they were curious about. They had to make a decision. And here's what I love about this story. Verse 14, Luke tells us this. And as they went, they were cleansed. Here's what that looks like. As they took the first step, they were cleansed. As they decided to go and do what Jesus asked, they were cleansed. As they decided to obey the words of Jesus, they were cleansed. As they decided to be faithful to the words of Jesus, who was faithful to them, they were cleansed. Not before, but as they went. As they walked, they looked at their hands and went, this is going to be really bad. But he said to go do this. And then they looked at their friends and realized their friends looked different. And then they looked at their hands and they realized their hands looked different. And they began to realize that what Jesus had done was heal them, something they could not do for themselves. And they found themselves completely changed. One specific man doesn't even go to the priest. Maybe later he does, but we're told that when he realized he was healed, this is verse 15, he came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. Now, what does this story have to do with our story and trying something different? There's a posture in this story that allowed these men to discover what Jesus could do for them, how he could bring help and healing. I want to tell you the posture, and then I want to explain it to you. So let's start by telling you. First, receiving help and hope begins with the posture of curiosity. A posture of curiosity asks the questions that we're all afraid to ask. A posture of curiosity decides to keep seeking until they find what is true and what is good and what is right. A posture of curiosity will always knock on whatever door is in front of them so that they can find purpose and significance and meaning and ultimately love from the God who is love. A posture of curiosity is a posture that's not afraid of doubts. And often we've been taught, if you've been a church person for a long time, you've been taught, maybe you've learned or you've been shown by other people that doubts are bad, when in reality, doubts aren't bad at all, especially doubts about God. I think God laughs at our doubts and God invites our doubts. God wants to hear about our doubts. And what I find fascinating is that when we have doubts, we stay away from places like this. When we have doubts about God, why do we stay away from God? When we have doubts about how God moves and how God works, why don't we talk to the people of God? Why don't we go to the Word of God? Why do we stay away from places like this? Oh, because of shame. Oh, because of fear. Oh, because we were taught that you can't actually engage these doubts. Listen, A faith worth following is a faith worth questioning. 
And if you can't question faith, then it's not worth trusting. And if you can't question God, then he's not God. And what we find in this story is the posture of curiosity that allows them to engage the potential of what God can do in their life. They chose to be curious and they cried out. And here's what I love about curious people. Curious people look for the help that they want and don't settle until they find the hope that they need. It's why these men yelled out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They knew that they couldn't find what they needed alone or even together. They needed someone outside of them. They needed Almighty God, and they heard the stories and saw the stories and experienced the stories, and so they said, well, why don't we just, in our curiosity, engage and see what God can do? So they took a risk, and curiosity means taking a risk, and they had courage to yell his name because that's what curiosity does curiosity opens us up to what jesus can make possible for us in this life and you know what they discovered the same thing that you'll discover when you decide to engage almighty god through the person and work of jesus in your curiosity they discovered that nothing is impossible when jesus gets involved it might feel impossible It might feel like it's taking a long time. It might feel like a really hard work. It might feel like it's really, really heavy. But Jesus is involved. And curious people understand that when you engage Almighty God through the person and the work of Jesus, that you will find the promise of God to be true every single time. This is what we discover in this story. And these men would have not found what they were looking for deep within them, let alone just physical healing, but healing in their souls without being curious. And I get it. I get it. We've been taught for a really long time that questions might be inappropriate in this setting or at this time or with these people. Listen, I want you to know at Active Church, there is no question that is off limits. There's no question that's stupid. There's no question that's dumb. In fact, one of the best ways to engage Almighty God is by asking questions. And here's the reality. Curious people, when they don't find the answer immediately, they're just going to keep leaning in. They don't run away because they understand that when you're curious about God, there is so much that you could learn. And I get that it's risky, Because your curiosity might lead you in a lot of different directions. Maybe for some of you who have been Christians for a long time, you might have this unsettling feeling in your heart going, man, asking people and telling people to be curious who are new to faith or maybe intrigued by faith to ask questions and to engage. It could be a bit risky because they could find something that could hurt them and harm them. And I'm with you. And I don't want anybody to be hurt. I don't want anybody to be harmed. Because when you're asking questions, it might lead you in a direction that isn't so good or isn't so godly. I get that. But two things about curiosity. First, I am so convinced that curiosity is the posture that you and I need to try something different this year. One, because without curiosity, we cannot fully and authentically and vulnerably meet with Almighty God. And we get all of Jesus. Jesus doesn't hold himself back. Jesus doesn't pretend. We get all of Jesus all of the time in every way. And so why not meet Jesus in all of that? And your curiosity is an example of what's stirring inside of you. 
And when you have questions, when you have doubts, when you have needs, when you have issues, you bring that to God and to the people of God. And together you figure it out. And the biggest thing that we have to commit to together is that we don't put a timetable on it. We just understand that God is at work because God promises to be at work. And that we're going to keep leaning in and keep asking questions and keep moving forward because this is God. This is who he is. He loves us. The second thing I'm convinced of is that even if you're in your curiosity, you might find some things that aren't good or aren't godly. What I'm so convinced of is that eventually you'll discover that they're not good and they're not godly. You know how I know that? Because you're here. Many of you have discovered that that's unsatisfying. That isn't good. And I'm intrigued by the way of Jesus. And it's a way that Jesus said long before you took your first breath and I took my first breath. It's a way that Jesus said is better than any other way. Here's how John wrote it and here's what Jesus said. I am the way. There is no better way. You can try to look for it, try to find it, try to call it a better way. Here's here's something that I think a lot of us do, especially if we have a posture of we're unsatisfied with this and so we're going to be here, but our arms are folded. Often, I think we don't engage the way of Jesus because we've been choosing our way or this way for so long and moving our arms from being folded to being open means that we're going to have to admit that we've been wrong. We've been wrong in our Google searches and we've been wrong in the answers that we believe are answering the questions that we have. But what Jesus says is all of that is an unsatisfying, unfulfilling way. Jesus says, I'm the truth. There's no greater truth. And it's an, ob- it's, it's an objective truth. It's outside of you, not subjective to what you believe is true. What Jesus is saying is, is it's true. I came and I died and I rose again. It's true. And I did it for you. And he says, I'm also the life. If you want to have life, real life, a life without shame and condemnation, it's found in the way of Jesus. And then I love this last part. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, often we've used that, Christians, we've used that as a way of saying, like, this is exclusive to certain people. This is the most inclusive thing Jesus says, because what Jesus is saying is this. You can know God as your heavenly Father and not just the big guy in the sky. And I can tell you who follows Jesus based upon how they talk about God. And it might be a judgment on my part or it might be a judgment on your part. But at this point, let's just be honest with each other. If you talk about God as the big guy in the sky, you're probably not following Jesus. Because he is your heavenly father. And he is so good to you and so good to me. And I don't even think that we can grasp how good he is. We have some understanding through the scriptures and through our religious practice, but I think that we've only just touched the corner of his rope and haven't discovered all that he is. That when you choose to follow Jesus, God isn't some distant being. God is your heavenly father next to you. And Jesus says, this is what your curiosity brings. And these men discovered that. They learned that because they decided to be curious. And by the way, those of you that are Christians, this doesn't mean that you lack confidence in your curiosity. It means that you understand that you haven't figured out God and that there's always something to learn and always somewhere to grow. And you practice this in your relationships every single day, in your marriages, in your dating, in your parenting. I've been married to my wife for over 20 years. 
And I still learn things about her, things that she loves, things that she adores, things that she appreciates. And those things begin to grow and begin to adjust as we've been together a lot longer. I don't know everything about her, and yet I feel like I know her better than anybody else on this planet. But yet I'm intrigued by the years that we have ahead of us to be able to get to know her in a more intimate way, to begin to love her in a more intimate way. And I learned that from my heavenly father. And we get to do that in a relationship with almighty God. In fact, curiosity is the key to faithfully following Jesus. You want to faithfully follow Jesus? Start with a posture of curiosity. Start with, wow. 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 You want to faithfully follow Jesus, continue to learn and never settle. Because curiosity about Jesus will allow you to try something different. And we see it in this story, the end of the story in verse 19 of of Luke's letter in Luke 17. We read that then Jesus said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Not his faith that he created. Not his belief that he decided to believe in. But him choosing to take Jesus at his word. All right. You want me to go see the priest when I'm not healed? Let's see how this goes. And maybe he thought, I'm going to die anyway. (laughs) So let's see what happens. And what he discovered is that he was given life. And that's why he ran back and expressed gratitude to Jesus. So if you want to try something different, Friends, it begins when you and I choose the posture of curiosity. Be curious about Jesus. And what you'll find is that he is gentle and humble. And you will find rest for your souls. And so one really simple, practical way to put this into practice is I want to invite you to come to First Step next Sunday. If you're new around here, first step is the best step for you because we'll talk about the values of active and you'll learn how to get involved. And we'll we'll share two specific ways that you can get involved. You'll get to meet our team. We'll take just 20 minutes with you, have an opportunity to meet some people and take the next step. And in fact, if you're new around here, I would invite you to give us the next 90 days. Give us the next 90 days. Come to first step, get involved, join a serve team. And I guarantee you, that after 90 days, you'll be so grateful for those 90 days that you'll, you'll want to do another 90 and maybe even do a lifetime with us. Because we've seen what God can do, and he's still doing it. And so I would invite you to come to First Step. And if you've been around for a really long time, and you've really made that chair super warm, and that's all that you've done, I want you to know that you're loved, and we're glad that you're here, but you are far more valuable than being a seat warmer. And so you should come to First Step. And I don't care if you've been here for 30, 40 years. Show up next week and then choose to get involved, to be curious about what God can do in you and through you. And for some of you, it's time for you to make a decision to get baptized. And you heard that we're going to have baptism Sunday in February. And so I would invite you to, to sign up at Guest Central today to get baptized. We saw 146 people get baptized last year. 146 people. those numbers all have names, they all have stories, and they all belong to God. You want to try something different? 
Start with being curious about Jesus. Start with leaning in, showing up, and not running away. One thing that I would invite you to do with me this week is I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be praying a prayer that I would invite you to pray along with me this week. And you can set the timer whenever you wanna pray. You can do it in the morning, afternoon, or in the evening, or whenever's convenient for you. I would also invite you to not do it alone. Do it with your spouse or significant other. Do it with your kids. Do it with your family. But this week, just as we set ourselves in a posture of being curious, this week, could I invite you every day at some point during the day to pray these words? Heavenly Father, teach me to look for you and look to you every day and in every way. Heavenly Father, Teach me to look to you and for you every day and in every way. Heavenly Father, teach me to look for you and to you every day and in every way. This will be posted on our social media pages. If you want to grab it off there, you can take a screenshot of it now. And I want to invite you to not pray this just on your own, but to pray this with those that you love, those that you're doing life with, to set a time when you would do it together, when you know everybody's together. And then you would just ask God, would you, would you teach me to look for you and look to you in every day and in every way in Jesus' name? Would, would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray this prayer over us and then our team is gonna lead us in one final song. And so Heavenly Father, together as a group of people, to choose to be curious for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time who are beginning to ask you to do a good work in them would you this week teach us to look for you and teach us to look to you every single day and in every single way when anxiety rises may we look to you When depression hits hard, may we look for you. When anger and bitterness tries to lead the way, may we look to you. When we find ourselves unwilling to forgive, may we look for you. When our relationship with our spouse or significant other is really struggling, may we look to you and for you. In our parenting, as we work really hard to raise great kids and be great parents, may we look to you and for you. God, may we not carry around the things that we were never meant to carry around. May we not feel weary and burdened and feel like we're on our own and isolated. But may we be men and women, young and old, from every walk of life, wherever we find ourselves on the faith spectrum. May we look to you and look for you this week, today, in this moment, because of Jesus and for Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. Let's sing one more song.